This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. How about them Phillies? The World Series Game 3 last night? I've never seen anything like it, and I've watched a lot of World Series in my time. Three home runs in the first two innings and five home runs in the first five innings. And the reason I'd never seen anything like that, five homers in five innings, is because it's never happened before in the World Series. Bryce Harper got the Phillies started off with a two-run blast, and then they just kept popping them into the seats. I mean, Houston was supposed to have this unstoppable pitching. But uh, the hapless pitcher for the Astros, Lance McCullers, just kept giving up these homers. There's no doubt that after the first two games in Houston, and so for those who haven't followed it, the Phillies now take a 2-1 to one lead, that going to Philadelphia, where the fans are just, just going nuts, I mean, it was just deafening, uh, was a major boost for the Philadelphia team. And um, the thing is, I thought they would take McCullers out when you get shellacked for three home runs in less than two innings, but the Astros manager decided that, you know, he didn't want to have spend his bullpen for seven innings, so you hoped to get the guy would settle down and he'd get five good innings at him, and he did settle down for several innings, and then came the fifth inning, gives up another homer, and at that point I said, look, and it was then six to nothing. I said... He's got to take him out now because he gave up the early homers. He gave up this homer. If you leave him in, he's going to get shellacked again. You got to make the move. Astros didn't make the move. The next player, or maybe two players later, another home run for the fifth homer of the game. 7 nothing Phillies. All right, enough with the baseball news. Um, Amazon Music, I happen to subscribe to that service. And I got a notice saying, well, we're improving this even more. Uh, because now we're going to feature podcasts. Well, everybody's featuring podcasts. They're trying to compete with Spotify and so forth. But Amazon Music is um, playing up the idea that you can get ad-free podcasts, and one of them happens to be this one, uh, along with others at Fox and elsewhere. So if you'd like to get this podcast with no advertisements whatsoever, and I think you can do the same thing at Apple iTunes, but... Amazon Music is yet another place to get it. Now, Amazon Music also said it had the exclusive, uh, just the way Spotify has the Joe Rogan exclusive, with a number of podcasts. I read over the list, and I must confess, I never heard of any of them. But that doesn't mean they're not good. Uh, BB Netanyahu making yet another comeback. The former Israeli prime minister seems poised to put together a narrow coalition to get his old job back. That would be the third tour of duty uh, in Israel. Yeah, I mean, he's had more comebacks than Billy Martin as manager of the New York Yankees. Um, but also, he's facing the possibility of a criminal trial. So something just seems very Trumpian about this. But if the people want Bibi, uh, that's why you have elections. 
And speaking of elections, I've been following the one in Brazil where Lula, the left-wing candidate, pulling off a remarkable comeback against Bolsonaro, who you know a lot of people think has fascistic tendencies. I don't, I'm not an expert in Brazilian politics, but clearly uh, he is um, has his fans as well. I mean, it, Lula won by less than two percent. But then there was a the question of would Bolsonaro actually leave office? He still hasn't conceded the election. Gave a speech, I think it was yesterday, but. That was followed by one of his people coming on saying, we're preparing for the transition. So it looks like Bolsonaro will voluntarily lead office. And look, he was a right-wing candidate. And obviously, uh, in the passionate politics of Brazil, a lot of people liked him as well. I mentioned yesterday there were things I just couldn't get to, so I'm going to try to get a couple in. Uh, one of them is this Washington Post story on Julia Roberts. And no, it's not some you know entertainment story about her new movie. Uh, this has come out before, but it's kind of gotten a new life. I hadn't heard of it before. Julia Roberts saying that Martin Luther King's family paid for her birth. Now, at first, I I didn't want to click on it. I said, this is going to be some kind of stupid clickbait. But it's true that the King family paid for her parents' hospital bill when she was born because they couldn't afford to pay it. Now, why would that happen? Um, the, The parents were in Atlanta. They owned a theater school Actors and Writers Workshop. And uh, as Julia Roberts says, uh, one day Coretta Scott King called my mother and asked if her kids could be part of the school because they were having a hard time finding a place that would accept her kids back in the segregated mindset of that era. My mom was like, sure, come over. And so they all just became friends and helped us out of a jam. So because... Julia Roberts' parents were willing to take the black children of Martin and Coretta Scott King. Uh, They all became pals. Uh, Bernice King, the youngest child, tweeted just over the weekend that she was very happy the story is getting attention. Because, you know, the King family wasn't fabulously wealthy. Uh, Talked about, you know, parents' generosity. Uh, was really an extended family. But by the way, according to uh, a Georgia author uh, about this, it wasn't like this was without incident because during the theater, one play, this is 1965, um, one of the King kids, in as part of the play, kissed a white girl, And there was an uproar over that. And a member of the Ku Klux Klan saw this and blew up a car that was parked nearby. And the cops, you know, put them in handcuffs and took them away with little energy. That's how the story goes. All right. Lot to get to here. So story number one. We have learned a whole hell of a lot about the brutal, vicious, heartless, and just shocking attack on Paul Pelosi. And so, for example, we now know that the guy who broke into the house, David DePape, uh, used a hammer to break glass. Because there's been a lot of questions, and even I couldn't quite figure out the timeline. And Donald Trump did a radio interview and said, you know, there's a lot of weird things going on in that house. But, you know, said it was a terrible thing what happened to Paul Pelosi, but a lot of weird things going on. There are still people who, 
you know, it is true we don't have the complete story, and I don't understand why the San Francisco DA, although we do have a clue now, and I think it has to do with embarrassment, would not release the video, the security cam footage of how this guy broke in because, you know, all that crap, those lies, those conspiracy theories that were circulated, including in a link from Elon Musk, which is a big blunder for the guy who's just taken over Twitter, and others, and all of these things now been quietly deleted with no apology. You know, oh, this guy was a male prostitute and all this stuff. Complete and total garbage. Complete and total conspiracy theory. So we already knew, I talked about this yesterday, that the Pope's plan was to wait days if necessary for Pelosi to come back, interrogate her, break her kneecaps if she lied. Um, but now we know even more. We know now that from what this guy told the cops, that he had other targets. That he wanted to go after Pelosi because she's third in line for the presidency. But um, he also was going to go after other leading Democrats. Uh, so... When Pelosi asked if he could call anybody for debate, because it's weird. He let him take the bathroom break. He knew about the 911 call. He actually spoke up at one point during the 911 call. So he knew the cops were coming, most likely. And when Paul Pelosi said, can I call anybody on your behalf? He said, he ominously responded, it was the end of the road for Pelosi. So he intended to kill him. You know, when, he's, when he took out his hammer... And he was also in his garage. A sword was found. I mean, this guy, it's scary. It's, he also believed in an imaginary fairy. I mean, it's just so useless. Yes, he had a lot of right-wing views. He also had some left-wing views. He also was a complete nut job. And he intended to kill Paul Pelosi, who was left in a pool of blood. And I don't actually understand why, if the police officers came in while... Uh, the paper was attacking the 82-year-old husband of the House Speaker, why they didn't use their guns to stop it. What were they waiting for? I mean, maybe there wasn't time to stop the initial assault, but just unbelievable. Um, he told the officers, I'm sick of the insane effing level of lies coming out of Washington. I came to have a little chat with his wife. Uh, at one point during the 911 call, Pelosi told dispatch he didn't need the police. Uh, he said, no, 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 this gentleman just came into the house and he wants to wait for my wife to come home. He was speaking in code. And thank God he had a good dispatch person. But here is, and now we know uh, that basically there's an interview now with the guy who employed to pay um, to do some carpentry. He was living under a tree in a park. If you got him talking about politics, it was all over, this guy Ciccarelli says, because he really believed in the whole MAGA, Pizzagate, stolen election, you know, all of it, way down the line. Uh, Ciccarelli said he was scheduled to work with the Pape on Monday. Never heard him make racist comments, but he'd become increasingly isolated. 
He was completely caught up in the MAGA fantasy. Okay, so here's the embarrassment, and maybe this is why. 2,000 miles away, here in D.C., there's a command center of the U.S. Capitol Police. And because Nancy Pelosi is, as I'll get into, the most targeted member of Congress when it comes to threats, and this has been true for many years, um, part of what the U.S. Capitol Police do is they watch the live feed in the security camera in her home. But police lights were flashing outside Pelosi's San Francisco home. She's here in Washington. And it wasn't being monitored in real time. At which point the Capitol Police could have instantly alerted the San Francisco police to get there somewhat earlier. Well, of course, at that point, there were police lights flashing, but still, they were they had to sort of rewind the tape or the whatever the may not actually be tape, but you know, rewind the feed to find out what was going on, watching recordings from the minutes before the San Francisco police arrived. There was on camera a man with a hammer breaking a glass panel and entering the speaker's home, according to three sources speaking to the Washington Post. They dropped the ball. Probably, well, Nancy's not there, so what's going to happen, right? These cameras were installed by the Capitol Police at Pelosi's home more than eight years ago. She has around-the-clock security detail, and after January 6th, for many months, a San Francisco police cruiser sat outside her home, but finally that was taken away, and here she was in D.C., and nobody's thinking, okay, but what about her home and her husband? And, you know, they're going to now tighten security procedures, but they can't afford to do it for all 535 members of Congress. And that's why so many people are nervous now. President Biden campaigning in Florida yesterday, uh, ripped into Ron DeSantis. I'm going to tie this to what I'm talking about. Calling him Donald Trump incarnate. I guess that's the highest level of insult in Democratic circles. And obviously there's some possibility, not a great possibility in my view, that Biden could end up running against DeSantis for the presidency. Um, But he also talked about the Pelosi attack. And the president said, the reason why people are doing what they're doing, there are a lot of unstable people in a population as large as ours. When they hear every single day these outrageous lies, outrageous lies across the board about everything, when they look at the internet and see what's being stated and talked about, you know, where we keep people in basements to molest them and all these kinds of things, look what happened. And think, however, this guy, and that's Governor DeSantis, is demonizing LGBTQ population. Think how his opponent is demonizing anyone who disagrees with him. Hmm. Fox News had a town hall debate last night between the two Ohio Senate candidates, Congressman Tim Ryan and J.D. Vance. And you would think it maybe, you know, it wouldn't be the most congenial audience, although they tried to put together, you know, a a balanced uh, audience for Ryan, the Democrat, who's actually kind of neck and neck with J.D. Vance, and nobody was expecting that because Ohio is trended very red. And Congressman Ryan said, what happened to Paul Pelosi is an absolute tragedy. I don't care what your politics are. I don't care how you feel about Nancy Pelosi and her politics or anything. She's the third ranking constitutional officer in the United States of America. 
Her husband is 82 years old and got beat over the head with a hammer, and that is wrong across the board. We don't have to say what Donald Trump Jr. posted. He posted a pair of underwear that, you know, a grandpa would wear with a hammer on it and said, this is my Halloween uniform. I'm going as Paul Pelosi. That was an atrocious thing to do. And he got some cheers uh, in that Fox News town hall. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Speaking of the former president, number two, Donald Trump's legal team is said to be in negotiations with the House January 6th committee about complying with the subpoena. This is according to Liz Cheney talking to PBS's Judy Woodruff. The committee is in discussion with President Trump's attorneys. He has an obligation to comply. We have not made a determination about format, says Cheney, but it will be done under oath. It will be done over multiple days. So I'm thinking, hmm, this could be a groundbreaking blockbuster media event. Uh, the committee has also asked for documents from Trump, contacts with political figures. That's according to The Guardian. Trump has several options to consider, which range from total noncompliance, in which case, look, I mean, the clock's just going to run out. At the end of December, this committee goes away. The Republicans have a, you know, virtual lock on taking over the House, and all the former president has to do is stall. Now, yeah, I mean, theoretically, if he dodged a subpoena, he could be held in contempt and justice could prosecute him just as the, with the prosecution of Steve Bannon. But I see that as rather unlikely. And this is what I predicted would happen, that Donald Trump would make every show of wanting to cooperate, then would blame the committee for not agreeing to his terms, and then in the end not testify. Um, if Look, if he wants to have, you know, wants to go up against this, you know, what would be an all-anti-Trump committee and sort of seize the show and defend himself in a way that nobody's been able to do since even many Republicans who've testified before that panel have turned on him, that would be must-see TV. But in the end, I think his lawyers would be crazy to allow him to do that, and I think he won't. But let's just say 
the entire world would tune in. Okay, number three. I have a column today on Fox about the media. I talked about some of this on the podcast yesterday, belatedly acknowledging this Republican surge. And I think it's really telling because you have Axios running a red tsunami watch. You have the New York Times saying for President Biden, his dreaming of FDR phase of his presidency may end in little more than a week. If Republicans capture one or both houses of Congress in the midterm elections, as polling suggests, Biden's domestic agenda will suddenly transform from a quest for a New Deal 2.0 to trench warfare defending the accomplishments of his first two years in office. So they say if, because they got to say if, right? Um, And meanwhile, you know, the Times published uh, these uh, polling results in four states. I mentioned um, for in the Senate, a lot of really tight races. Uh, even Mark Kelly, who's leading in Arizona, the senator, incumbent senator and former astronaut over Blake Masters, uh, had about a six-point lead, but the Libertarian candidate just dropped out, and that could change that race. The poll that I saw today had Masters down by two points. I mean, that's a statistical tie, and it goes on and on and on. Um, I'm also seeing... Uh, I saw one story saying, well, John Fetterman, despite his, look, disastrous debate performance, still has a path to victory, although I think the polls are very clearly moving in Oz's direction, you know, by Democrats who just want to hold the seat or Democrats that say, look, he, you know, he's still having problems recovering from the stroke. But, uh, you know, Fetterman's probably helped himself a little bit by going on these MSNBC interviews where he has been much more coherent. You know, you got one person closed captioning, and, you know, stumble here and there, but, you know, far better than he did in the debate. Um, But, you know, it goes beyond the polls. And even the latest poll I saw, even though I think Carrie Lake is very likely to win her race for governor, she's the former Phoenix TV anchor, um, it was a one or two point contest with Democrat Katie Hobbs, who is refusing to debate her. I guess increasingly in this take-no-prisoners era, you know, refusing to debate, having a lousy debate, having a uh, second woman who says you uh, pressured her into having an abortion, going on camera on Good Morning America, as the accuser is in the case of Herschel Walker in in the Georgia race, and Herschel Walker is neck and neck. And, And so I go back to what I've been saying for many weeks now, which is the media blew it in saying Carrie Lake, Blake Masters, um, Herschel Walker. Remember that hot mic moment with Chuck Schumer saying, I can't believe Herschel Walker might win this thing when he's talking to President Biden. Uh, and some of these others, they all had no chance. They were crazy MAGA conservatives, right-wing extremists. Sure, great for a primary, but man, they're all going to lose. And they're not all going to lose. With this environment, some things of these races are going to break the Republicans' way. We don't know how many. If it is a tsunami, a whole bunch of them. And that will easily give Mitch McConnell more than a one-seat majority. If, you know, you always got to come back in the midterm election. It all depends on turnout. Since abortion rights 
was hot over the summer, but has faded at least from the media coverage. And since Democrats have still talked about it, um, what does that do to turnout? It's all about who turns out with the shot clock winding down. We're now, what, six days out. And there's a lot of finger pointing going on where, you know, this is, these are the advanced obituaries where Democrats are off offering, here's where we screwed up. We should have talked about inflation rather than saying it's not a great issue for us, we'll ignore it. They're starting to do it now, but it's kind of too late. Uh, we should have talked about crime. As Kathy Hochul, who actually has some possibility of losing her race for governor of New York to Lee Zeldin. I even read today that Patty Murray, who's, you know, was first elected in Washington State as a mom in tennis shoes in 1992, that she has a more competitive race than expected. I think she's likely to win. But if Patty Murray has a competitive race, if Kathy Hochul in New York has a competitive race, if the Republican candidate for governor in Oregon in a three-way race, which has some unusual factors, could actually win, those are harbingers. Those are smoke signals that, you know, if your best performers in the bluest states are having to break a sweat and run really hard, what does that do for these battleground states like Pennsylvania and South Carolina? and Ohio, and Arizona. And so, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders is saying we should have uh, had more of a liberal agenda. I disagree with that. Um, Moderate Democrats are saying we moved too far to the left. Uh, Obama has become the closer. Now, uh, Biden and Obama are going to appear together, reunited, as they say, at a rally uh, in a couple days. Remember when Biden wasn't going to do any rallies? But, you know, he goes out and he does these events for candidates and they're mostly closed. They're pooled. So that means there's no footage available. The pool reporters come out and said, oh, Biden said this, that, or the other thing. Biden knows, I guess, that he's an albatross on the ticket. A lot of these Democrats are running ahead of Biden, who's, you know, what, 42, 44%? Uh, approval better than before, but, you know, people are mad. They're angry about the economy. They're upset. They're worried about crime. These are all Republican issues. They're not worried about the woke issues. And, you know, I think Biden figures, well, I, you know, I'll just go out and be president and give these infrastructure speeches. But the problem is he, he is rightly defending all the things he's accomplished, but he didn't pivot to the future. He's starting to do that now. You know, the Republicans have no plan. They'll tank the economy. But, you know, the elections are always about the future. You know, you could walk on water and you still got to tell people what they're going to do in the second term. George W. Bush was at 91 percent popularity after the Gulf War in 91, and he lost to Bill Clinton in 92. That kind of sums it up. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. All right, let me get to number four, which is Twitter. Elon Musk has been tweeting his butt off in a way that's utterly fascinating. So he had this back and forth where Musk had already said, and he was actually starting to publicly embrace, that if you're one of the blue checks on Twitter, meaning you have a verified account, 
you would have to pay $20 a month to keep that status. But he was saying he'd open it up to anybody. Anybody, you don't have to be some big shot journalist or pundit or politician or operative. Anybody who wants to pay that money, well, sure, he'll take their money, can get that blue check verified status. So Stephen King, the novelist, goes on and says, F that, you should pay me. You charging that money, I'm out of here. And Elon replies to him and says, look, I got to get some revenue. I can't just rely on advertisers. How about $8 a month? And so somebody, I don't have the name on Twitter, had a really good line. He said, so a guy who's worth $200 billion, Elon, is talking to a guy who's worth about $500 million, Stephen King, about how to save 12 bucks a month and just how ludicrous this is. So now uh, Elon goes on to say, Twitter's current lords and peasants system for who has or doesn't have a blue check is bull. Power to the people. Blue, he's calling it Twitter blue for $8 a month. You'll also get priority in replies, mention, and search, which is essential to defeat spam slash scam. Ability to post long video and audio, half as many ads, and paywall bypass for publishers willing to work with us. This will give Twitter a revenue stream to reward content creators. Yes, this will destroy the bots. This is all Elon tweeting. If a paid blue account engages in spam or scam, that account will be suspended. So um, if you think about it, though, he's asking people who can afford it to pay this $8 a month and essentially buy greater exposure. They'll get priority. So if you spend $8 a month to be on Twitter, you got to really care about Twitter, which is obviously not the real world, uh, to do this. Well, um, it means that more people will see what you post. You could post video, longer video. The other people wouldn't be able to see it, or they would have an option. If so I'm a user, I'm not part of this Twitter blue thing, and somebody posts a video that I want to see, it'll be you want to you want to charge $4 for this or $2 or $1. And $1 would be the minimum. If somebody really wants to see the minimum, they could pay the $1. I don't know how popular that would be. It sounds like uh, he's trying to dream up a lot of ways to make money. Um, and the Washington Post got a look at an internal email. There's a thing that may have already been in the works called paywall video. And this is what I was talking about with preset list of prices of one buck, two bucks, five bucks, even 10 bucks. Mockups, according to the Post, Show a tweet with four images. You can click on a lock. It says view for $1. Meanwhile, Musk is also saying, he actually said this today, that he's not going to reinstate any of these banned accounts for weeks until he gets his content moderation counsel together. So Donald Trump's not coming back. By the way, there's only six days left. So when was this going to happen? And by the way, Trump says he's not going to return to Twitter, but I'm a little skeptical on that. Musk says he's not allowing anybody back until there's a clear process. Twitter, he says, will continue to combat hate and harassment and enforce its election integrity policies. And um, this is what I went into yesterday. If you want to go back to yesterday's podcast, one of his top lieutenants was saying, we're not changing the the rules at all. We're still going to be against hate speech and bullying and anti-Semitism and all that stuff. So some people will be relieved by that. 
because they didn't like the free speech approach. Others who think that anybody should be able to say anything will be disappointed because it runs counter to what Elon Musk is doing. But now he's got to run the business. You spend $44 billion. I read that Twitter, the company now under Musk, sole owner at the moment, has to um, pay $1 billion a year just to service the debt. Okay, so all these things that Musk is throwing out, some will work, some won't work, some will piss people off, but you got to find a way to make some money. Twitter hasn't been very profitable, and now that it's being run as a private business without having to please Wall Street, we'll see what Musk can or can't do. And he's got to rein himself in as well, as we found out in the Paul Pelosi thing. So this is what I really wanted to get to yesterday, story five. Uh, And it's worth going back to because President Biden said he's going to seek a windfall profits tax against major oil and gas companies unless they ramp up production to try to bring down the price of gas. Now, it's rhetoric. He's not going to get a windfall profits tax, not a week before the election. And he's not going to get it after the election because we'll probably have a Republican House. And there was a windfall profits tax instituted in 1980, final year of Jimmy Carter's presidency, it lasted a few years. It was widely judged to be a failure. Whether the situation is different now, I don't know. But here's the argument that Biden makes, and it's got some interesting numbers in it. He says that these companies are getting an outrageous bonanza from higher oil prices, which the president, and it's his interest to say this, largely attributes to Russia's war on Ukraine. But look, it's also just straight-out inflation. Um, Congressman Kevin Brady, Republican of Texas, comes back and says... Haven't American families suffered enough from President Biden's damaging attack attack on American-made energy? But listen to these numbers. ExxonMobil, in the third quarter of this year, brought in a record of nearly $20 billion in profits, 10% higher than the previous quarter, and its fourth consecutive quarter of just huge earnings. Chevron reported over 11 billion dollars in profits, just below the record it set the quarter before. Shell and its affiliated companies, profits more than doubled from the same period a year ago. So a half dozen of these largest oil and gas companies earned more profit in the last six months than in all of last year, and more than two and a half times what they earned in the same quarter's of 2021. And Biden says if the industry simply earned the same level of profits, it has, you know, roughly for the last 20 years, consumers will be paying 50 cents less a gallon. Now, I'm not necessarily in favor of a windfall profits tax. And as I said, it's, it's just hot air at this point. It's not going to happen. But these are massive profits for the likes of Exxon and Chevron. And they are profiteering off of the situation. And they're not giving the money back, except maybe to their shareholders. And it is pretty outrageous. And, you know, if I had been Biden, I mean, he's mentioned this before, but these numbers, I would have been hammering this a while ago. Nobody loves the oil companies. It's a big, fat target. And it would have been another way to talk about the economy because the president and his fellow Democrats are waking up to the fact that they don't talk about the economy and they don't talk about crime. They're not talking about the stuff that people really care about. And they care less right now about whatever the past legislative accomplishments were or some of these woke issues, which is why, to sum up, this election very much moving in the Republicans' direction. 
How much, we don't know. Dangerous to predict. Depends on turnout. But with that, thank you for listening. I enjoy sharing this time with you. Put a lot of work into getting these topics together so we can have our ad-free version on Amazon Music as well as uh, Apple iTunes and other places. Uh, Hope you have a great day. See you tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.